0: My son is here and this this thing you see on the screen we call in South Africa and Namibia we call it a bucky. Which is what you call what is it, a pickup? Whatever. But if you if you speak to any young Namibian man, professional, whatever, they they speak about buckies. Uh, Cars and and rifles for hunting and those kind of things. That's that's more or less what they do now. Helmut Tilke wrote that he he once found himself in the company of car owners. It's uh, w- when you when you uh, speak to some of the people here in our in our um, congregation as well with all their grand cars, uh, which I I will not mention what kind of cars we have. <laughs> You can laugh, Drew. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, <laughs> each would sing their, the praises of their own car, you know. And um, Helmut Thielke said some, some bragged about how strong their bucky is when they go up hills and, and uh, had to use the four-by-fours. And then he, he writes the following. He says, they acted precisely as if those cars of theirs had become themselves and therefore actually bragging about themselves. And then he continues, Human beings have the most remarkable inclination to identify with anything that adds to their prestige or lifts their social standing. Be it a car, a powerful position in business or politics, or their intellectual abilities. They latch onto these things and identify with them to the point of saying, actually, this is who I am. This is who I am. And we can add to the list our nice house, our important position of our, our husband or wife, or even our children's achievements. This is who I am. This is my legacy. This is who I am. What determines your identity? Who are you? What makes you feel good about yourself? Something changed in Paul's identity if we read this passage. And he states it very clearly in this passage. He says, Christ Jesus Took hold of me. The Good News Bible says Christ Jesus has already won me to himself. The, The Greek language says that he has arrested me, he's taken me into custody. I'm not my own anymore, I have a new identity. This, he says, was an act of the gracious God. He says, I no longer have a righteousness of my own. The kind that's gained by obedience to the law. I cannot work my own righteousness anymore. I now have the righteousness that comes from God. It's sort of poured out on me." So he makes a clear distinction between two kinds of identities that we can have. On the one hand, we can feel that we can set ourselves free with our own efforts. All the good things we we do, and all the good things we are, and all the good things we've done in the past, That, he says, is not the right identity. Being justified by God's grace, that is the the real identity we have. We're not a citizen of the world anymore. We are now citizens of heaven. And we are not citizens of heaven because we worked hard enough for it. God made us part of His kingdom. So what's Paul's reaction to this change of identity that came to him, that was given to him? He says, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death. Maybe you've heard and seen the words on the screen. One concept stands out all the time. I want to know Christ. That's my response To this new identity that I have. When we understand that God has changed our identities and gave us a new start, a new beginning in life, it fills us with this intense desire to know Christ as Lord. But it's not a mere intellectual, objective, awareness. That Christ is the Lord. He says, Christ Jesus, my Lord. Not because I possess Christ, but because He took hold of me. He is my Lord. So, what does, it, what does it mean to know Christ? How do we get to know Christ? How do we respond in the right way? Paul says, first of all, go back to the basics of what it is about in life. To know Christ, he says, is to share in his death and in his resurrection. Listen to what he says. I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection. Elsewhere he says that that Christ who rose from the dead is the Christ that lives in us with His power. It is the same power that raised Christ from the dead that is in us. What what does resurrection mean? It means a new identity and a new life. It means that we live as new people with new values, new lifestyles, new attitudes. And these lifestyles and attitudes are not from this world. But because we became citizens of heaven, we live the values and the attitudes of the future world of which we became part. We are resident aliens. We are not from here. I have three passports, a South African one, a Namibian one, and a British one, so some of you would say, is that legal, yes, yes it is, you can have more than one citizenship if you're a British citizen as well, but that's not my citizenship, that is not who I am, We are citizens of heaven. Here in Namibia, in South Africa, we live according to values of that specific culture. Christians live the values of the future world, of heaven. That's what we live. But he goes on. He says, I also want to know Christ becoming like him in his death. That's the uncomfortable part of what Paul is saying. See, death means a funeral. It means the end. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. To know Christ is to discover more and more that our old life has been buried and that we cannot live the old life anymore. That our own efforts have been buried. That our old identity is past. In Paul's life, he had to draw up a balance sheet of gains and losses. Paul looks back on his life and he says, look at who I was. He says, I could of course put my trust in many things if anyone thinks that he can trust in external ceremonies that's me I have even more reason to feel that way I was circumcised he says on the eighth day I'm an Israelite from birth from the tribe of Benjamin a pure-blooded Hebrew And you know what? I was a Pharisee. And a Pharisee was a good man. A man that really lived according to the law. If if anybody could say that he is righteous, it was me, he says. I was faultless when it came to the law. These things he had was his own merit. It was based on his background and his descent, where he came from. He had the opportunity to have a highly successful life with special status and prestige. We can translate it, of course, in our own idiom. I am baptized... I come from a Christian family, from the Presbyterian church, a very privileged family. I know the Ten Commandments. I went to Sunday school. I served as an elder. I am a very, very active member of the church. I know what is right. But listen to Paul. He says that spiritual CV. He had means nothing. Three times he says it's unimportant. Whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss. I consider everything, he says, a loss. I consider them rubbish. Why? Why do we continuously, for the sake of Christ's lordship, say no and goodbye to the old identities in our lives? He says, for the sake of Christ, that I may gain Christ. There is nothing compared to knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. It means absolutely nothing. You see, to share in Jesus' death, is to ask ourselves, what are the most important things in my life? What comes number one? Who has the most important value? What are the things in my life that I have to say goodbye to? What stands in the way of my relationship? of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord. This passage sounds almost like Romans chapter 6, verse 4 and 5. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the, to the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we have been united with Him like this in His death, we will certainly also be united with Him in His resurrection. Back to basics. Back to what Jesus has done for us. And being united with Him through faith. But the second thing is to To come to know Christ is is an ongoing thing in our lives, ongoing process. It's not something that we just have. He says, not that I have already obtained all this, or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. I do not consider myself yet to be taken hold of. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind the old identity and straining toward what is ahead, the resurrection life, I press on toward the goal. Is this surprising to hear this from Paul? Paul says, you know, There are some people who think that they've already reached the goal and they think they are spiritually mature. He says spiritual maturity means to know that you have not reached the goal yet. That you're going on and on on this marathon journey with God and Christ. Spiritual maturity is to know there's much work to be done that faith is discovering every day what it means to live and die with Jesus Christ. It's time for all of us to take stock of our personal lives. And there are many driving forces in our lives, many identities that we would like to have. What is important to us today Paul challenges us to evaluate everything in our lives. Do they make me spiritually richer or does it make me bankrupt? Do they make me more self reliant, self satisfied, and content about myself that I don't need God anymore? Or does it help me to know Christ better? Does it become like an opiate dulling our awareness of our need for Christ and for God's love? You see, it is possible for all of us to be bankrupt while we have a lot A lot of money, a lot of status, a lot of success, a nice house, a good position. We can be important in society, but bankrupt. There are only two possibilities here. Either we let go of the things that keep us from a living relationship with Christ, in which we discover more and more of His death and resurrection power in our lives. Or we hold on to these things and let go of Christ. We either sacrifice our own interests and live according to the values of the kingdom, or we sacrifice Christ for the sake of our possessions and our values and possessions, our culture, our birth, our status, or the other gods in our lives. There's a German tale by Paul Langholf called the richest man in the town. A very rich and important man by far the richest in the town, rode on his horse through the forest one morning. And suddenly he heard this strange thing that he's never heard before. He went closer. He saw a very old man, poor man, praying. He heard him thanking God for a piece of bread and a cup of water. And the rich man became very uneasy about this. He never thought of thanking God for bread and water. He couldn't get this image out of his mind as he rode off a storm, started to build up, and became dark and he became very anxious. And suddenly it was as if a voice said to him, the richest man in the town will die tonight. Disturbed and very concerned, he went home and he called the doctor and went to bed immediately. It was a terrible night of death anxiety. When the sun rose the next morning, he could feel that life came back into himself. He went to the town only to hear that the old man in the forest died during the night. When he returned home, his wife was still mocking him and, and laughing at him, making fun of the voices that he heard. The richest man in the town died last night, he told his wife. How is it possible, she says, who is richer than we are? And he answered, the man that is able to say to God, besides you, I desire nothing else. He is the richest man in the town. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that you would come by the power of your Holy Spirit and help us to understand what our real identity is, that we would in faith embrace once again the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ in our lives that we once again will go to you and live in an intimate relationship with you, getting to know you better and experience the greatness of your love. Father, help us to take stock. Help us once again To discover that you are the one that makes us rich, rich in love, rich in righteousness. Come, Spirit of God, fill our hearts by the power of the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen.